Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Well, it's raining regs in Washington, D.C., particularly in the realm of healthcare IT. On the federal level in the past few months, HHS has published significant regulations regarding interoperability, electronic attachments, electronic prior authorization, and we've seen significant progress with TEFCA. We talk about these and other federal initiatives often on this show, but what about health IT at the local level? What's going on for data exchange at the state level? What are the state industry initiatives and what are states doing on their own, either in addition to federal legislation or perhaps more so in spite of or in absence of federal initiatives? Today, we are excited to have on our show two healthcare leaders who can answer these questions. Dave Haugen, Administrative Simplification Program Director at the Center for Health Information Policy and Transformation at the Minnesota Department of Health, and Denny Brennan, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I'm Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous is modernizing the healthcare financial experience for all. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI, that's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And this is the Collective Voice of Health IT, a WEDI podcast. Again, very excited today to talk to Dave Haugen, again, Administrative Simplification Program Director, Center for Health Information Policy and Transformation at the Minnesota Department of Health, and Denny Brennan. Executive Director of the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium. Dave and Denny, welcome and so glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. We really appreciate the opportunity. Very good. So, Denny, let's dive right in. Let's start in the Northeast. Looks like it's been busy. Quite a few data exchange projects going on in New England. Do you want to give us a high level of what we're seeing? Certainly, Matthew. Um, In New England, we have health information exchange happening across all the states in the region. Uh, They are different as are state initiatives almost by definition in a number of respects. Some are centralized repositories of health information exchanged by hospitals that allow health systems, policymakers, and patients access to information for a range of purposes. We also have decentralized health information exchange operating in other parts of the region where the ability and availability of health information at the point of care is really the goal to ensure that clinicians have access to a patient's electronic medical records wherever those records are are stored or stored, excuse me. Um, In New Hampshire, we have the New Hampshire Health Information Exchange or NHHIE. In Connecticut, we have the Connecticut Health Information Exchange, which is operated by the healthcare providers in Connecticut. In Rhode Island, we have a health information exchange that's operated by the Rhode Island Quality Institute. And in Maine, we have Health Infonet, which is Maine's uh, information exchange, centralized system connecting hospitals and consumers to their health information. So we have a robust, highly uh, varied uh, implementations of health information exchange across the region, but everyone is doing 
what they need to do in order to make sure that the right information for patient care is available when it's needed. Very good, Denny. Now, talk to me a bit more about what's going on in your home state, Massachusetts. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the health, uh, about the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium, if you will. And, and it sounds like you're working on a highway, but it, it's going to be a little different than the Mass Pike. Is that right? It's a little different than the Mass Pike, as much as uh, we we see the Mass Pike as being a sort of the, the central uh, metaphor for transportation in Massachusetts. The Mass Highway has been a decentralized. Dis- distributed messaging service that allows clinicians at any participating facility, which is required to be uh, healthcare organizations and providers are required to participate and share and exchange information. Uh, What we're also seeing, though, in Massachusetts is a move to uh, health information exchange that more closely mirrors the kinds of exchanges that are going to be required in the federal rules. What I mean by that is health information exchange won't be for providers only, which is what really characterizes the health information exchanges in this region and probably in a number of other places across the country. These are going to be exchanges that are going to need to include health plans, that are going to need to have more robust connections to patients or healthcare consumers. At Massachusetts Health Data Consortium, we're working with our community, our members, and uh, state representatives from our Health Policy Commission, um, legislators in the state, to develop exchange capacities and capabilities that will support the kinds of transaction-intensive exchanges that are going to be happening in healthcare. For example, prior authorization. Um, the ability to secure an automated prior authorization in close to real time requires not just exchange of information, but powerful and robust real-time availability of information to support the automation of that really complex process. So we're looking at a range of options. We also have a number of organizations that are likely to be participating in TEFCA, uh, the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, um, those organizations are, are by necessity needing to do that in order to achieve a level of quality in their information systems and to support the more robust transactions that real-time exchange will enable. So we have a lot going on in Massachusetts. We're proud at MHDC to be a part of a lot of those conversations and doing what we can to, to bring not only the voice of payers and providers, but the voice of the patient uh, to those discussions. Excellent. Thank you, Denny. Uh, so turning to you, Dave, uh, Minnesota has always been on the cutting edge when it comes to at least electronic transactions. I think Minnesota was one of the first to require HIPAA electronic transactions for workers' comp, right, back in 2009. Can you just give us a little history of your program? Yeah, thanks very much, Matthew. Um, I think we present kind of an interesting case study. I'm going to go back in time just a little bit um, and talk, you know, you mentioned early on, Matthew, that it's raining regs. <clears throat> and certainly back in 1996, we had HIPAA, we had a, a series of rules, uh, we had raining regs then. I think Minnesota was an example of how a state <clears throat> can act upon a federal initiative and perhaps even expand and build on it even farther. That's essentially what we did. And at the time, it was also kind of a policymaker's dream. We had this rare moment where the stars were aligned. We had providers and payers usually seen sometimes in a little bit of opposition, 
coming together jointly to our state legislature with a vision that said, you know, this, this HIPAA thing to get everybody on the same page and automate and make more efficient electronic uh, healthcare administrative transactions is the right way to go. We're really in support of that. We'd like to build on that a little bit. And they presented the legislature with this multi-pronged vision of collaboration between the public and private sectors, as well as collaboration across state agencies that ended up in really landmark state law um, that was exciting and, and complemented and built on HIPAA in a number of ways. The state law was essentially a paperectomy for healthcare. And I know that was kind of the intent of HIPAA, so what's new, what's different? Well, in, um, in HIPAA, we didn't have everybody on the same page. We had property casualty insurers like workers' comp and no-fault auto not included. Um, the Federal Administrative Simplification Compliance Act that requires most Medicare providers to submit uh, their claims electronically didn't apply to small providers. Our law said, no, everybody's in. Um, this applies to everybody. We had a very, very expansive definition of providers and payers. Um, we knew that <laughs> HIPAA um, and HIPAA standards, especially prior to version 5010 and core operating rules, oftentimes in many people's view, weren't standard enough. They were supplemented oftentimes by additional information and requirements that were payer specific to make sure that information could be communicated. This information was called companion guides. There was a proliferation of them, but the proliferation of companion guides really sort of watered down the overall goal of administrative uniformity to get to greater, um, uh, greater, more efficient electronic communications. So we said, okay, there's gonna be a single uniform companion guide in Minnesota. And we had this, again, rare, amazing alignment of the stars where we had a multidisciplinary uh, volunteer, large stakeholder advisory organization, kind of like a mini weedy at a statewide level in Minnesota. And uh, they provided an incredible amount of subject matter expertise and in-kind support to generate what we called a single uniform companion guide that everybody has to live under. You go forward a couple of years, the benefits of this kind of approach, building on federal regulation, but really filling in where there were some gaps and some opportunities, I think the, the benefits became to be realized and acknowledged very, very quickly. Uh, our department estimated very crudely, conservatively, back of the envelope, that there was at least a 50 to $60 million reduction in healthcare administrative costs because of what we were doing. Um, you know, at a micro level, we had our Department of Human Services, the state Medicaid agency, they had 41 people in their claims processing area. They were able to reduce that to about a dozen or so and shift those people over to other higher order tasks because of the administrative efficiencies that were being achieved. At a higher level, at kind of a global level, <clears throat> then Governor Dayton in 2012 declared February 21st, 2012 as Administrative Uniformity Committee Day in Minnesota issued a proclamation congratulating it and the rest of the state on its work. So again, I think just kind of a case study example of not only the importance of federal regulation, but the importance of states working on that, building from it, innovating from it, and also learning from each other. This podcast today is very important for me personally, Matthew, because 
like so many staff at the Minnesota Department of Health, we were largely redeployed to other assignments as part of the pandemic response. So after three years of kind of being out of the game, I'm really excited about the opportunity to get back into the game, which means I think in my mind, looking both forward and backward and looking outward, I'm really eager to learn more about what other states are thinking about and doing. I'm really hoping that this can be the genesis for more comparing of notes and sharing lessons with each other. So again, thank you. Very good, Dave. I, I love that idea or that image of, of you know, providers and payers coming together with policymakers and legislators. And, and, and like you said, like the stars aligned and it was a kumbaya moment. Do you think that... Um, do you think that your state still has that kind of kumbaya that that the payers and providers they've been you know waylaid a little bit pandemic but do you think that 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 spirit is still there especially with all your successes of how how well it worked You know I think that's a great question and I I think it's a hypothesis that kind of needs to be tested um you know we had our kumbaya moment we had our little moment in the sun a number of years ago um but since that initial implementation, a lot of what has been done since then has been kind of routine maintenance of these companion guides and so forth. Um, but we're at another juncture now. <laughs> you know, um, I've been talking really specifically about administrative healthcare transactions, thinking of healthcare data exchange almost as two sides of the coin, administrative on one side, clinical on the other. What we've seen now, though, is that we're rap rapidly approaching a new point of convergence. And I think as Denny was indicated, um, there's a lot more possibility, a lot more potential now for new kinds of data exchange, new kinds of data use, more actors becoming involved. I think this is a great time to kind of test the hypothesis and see if we can get that kind of um, star alignment again. Very good. Um, so turning to you, Denny, uh, maybe you can give uh, give a snapshot, as we just heard from Dave, about what the current moment's all alike. I heard you say that, I think, that, that Massachusetts required providers to use the, the data highway, and then the feds came in and, and then broadened that idea that now 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 payers have to be able to, to exchange that information as well. That sounds very complimentary to me. It sounds like um, like the, the state and the federal are working in sync and they kind of play off each other each other. Uh, but I'll turn to you. Uh, give us a snapshot of where, 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 where Massachusetts is now. Well, I, Matthew, I'd like to paint a picture that we're all getting along very well and we're all advancing along a common strategy with a goal toward achieving interoperability across all the major segments of healthcare, most notably the patient segment. Um, but that would be, I would be wrong if I were to say that. Um, we're operating in a climate now where uh, providers are deeply frustrated with health plans after COVID and after suffering, you know, substantial financial losses because of their investment in uh, fee-for-service medicine and the suspension of all but essential clinical services during the lockdown at the earlier stages of the pandemic. And we now have, as we see in states across the country, you know, major labor issues on the provider side in hospitals, in post-acute settings like uh, rehabilitation settings, uh, skilled nursing facilities. So there is more disagreement than there is agreement about how to do things together. But there is the recognition that we can't replicate the mistakes of the past. We can't set up 
systems or policies that punish one segment and benefit another. We need to look at where we have common ground. And what we're seeing in Massachusetts and what we're promoting as a consortium is that you need to have this multi-party exchange of information. We need to be able to support payers and providers exchanging clinical and administrative data because ultimately patients are going to be the beneficiaries of having their data controlled by them with respect to its access, with respect to being able to understand the costs of healthcare services and, and what they'll be expected to pay out of pocket. And if we could keep our eye on that goal, then I think things start coming into alignment, at least better than they, they have been over the past several years. Uh, one of the areas, as I mentioned initially, that we're seeing uh, both considerable agreement and disagreement is in prior authorization. Um, we're taking the tack as a consortium that while there are many recommendations that providers are making and health plans are making uh, regarding the use, the application of prior auth, that the automation of what is now a an extraordinarily complex, long duration, burdensome process for both patients and providers is something that would generate tremendous benefits if we automated it strictly without regard to implementing other sort of more dramatic changes in what gets authorized, what physicians get gold carded, questions like that, rather than focusing on what might be the positions that certain industry trade groups are taking, we're focusing on what they all share as a need, which is by automating this process, by assisting providers in understanding what requires prior auth and what doesn't, we alleviate about 50% of the burden. Um, and we create a foundation, a data foundation, that enables for more informed policymaking rather than some of the experiments that we're seeing around the country that are proving to be less successful than were initially envisioned. So we take a strong data first. We take a strong exchange in real time perspectives on this particular challenge. And we see it as essential for moving what is a costly and burdensome system for, especially for patients, into something that's much more directed toward better care at a lower cost with quicker turnaround times and improved outcomes. So that's how we keep the, the, the constituents from spreading or diverging, is we try to stay focused on what are the common benefits or the common approaches that we can take that yield benefits for all involved. And automation is a big piece of what we're, we're pushing and working with the state and a number of payers and providers and government agencies to, to advance in Massachusetts over the course of, of time that the federal rule regarding prior auth will finalize in the coming months. So we're trying to tack to what the feds are going to do. We don't want to create something that's in conflict with federal rules. We want to create something that's complementary and ideally identical in many respects. So for us, the challenge is allowing those organizations to disagree about, about what they'll do with the data when they get it. That's their prerogative. But getting the data, automating the process is what we see as the necessary uh, means to whatever ends they choose to make with respect to policies or operations or strategy.
Uh, Danny, I think that's, that is a terrific point, and I think we don't hear it enough, right? Every day we hear something else about prior auth. They're usually um, not good stories coming out of the provider sector that says this pol- these policies on prior auth are horrible, um, but maybe we can have your kumbaya or Dave's kumbaya moment again uh, when we remind all parties involved that that let's move things automatically. Let's let's get the data. Once we move things to digital and electronic, we can get the data to make better policy decisions and, and set them aside. I, I think that's a terrific point and one we need to hear more of. Um, you talked about prior auth. Are there any other and certainly prior auth isn't low fruit, but but are there any other uh, perhaps uh, initiatives or or uh, things we can do with data exchange, again, that, that would bring everybody to the table, bring all the parties to the table uh, on, in, in kind of a shared goal. Anything else on, on our menus that we could work with? Absolutely. Uh, we're looking at quality measures, for ex- example. Um, you know, we have electronic clinical quality measures being developed and promulgated by the NCQA. Uh, we have the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services pushing for quality measures that are digital and electronic quality measures. Uh, what we see uh, in Massachusetts and what we've developed for the state is a single quality measure specification that can be used by all health plans and providers so that they don't each have a different requirement for a trading partner, be it a provider working with multiple health plans or a health plan working with multiple providers, where the burden of receiving different requests for the same information becomes, you know, onerous and and difficult in and of itself, the information notwithstanding. Our goal is establish a common spec, bring the the, the critical leaders in healthcare together on recognizing and advancing the spec. This is about contracting. The reason we want quality data and the reason we want data moving before between payers and providers is so that we can produce better contracts, contracts that reflect performance, that reflect quality, that that allow risk sharing with much better information than we've been able to do it in the past. But, you know, we start with small steps. And the first step is let's agree on a common specification. Let's advance that specification in terms of its transparency and its you know, availability and use across the, the health ecosystem. And then let's look at how we make that uh, more advanced technologically using fire and API interoperability to increasingly automate the exchange of quality measures in real time. Again, using standards, using uh, the need to re- alleviate burden, improve quality and reduce cost and, and using automation of standardized data standardized exchange mechanisms to increase what we need to know about how how well healthcare is done, how well to incentivize providers, how well to reward quality, uh, and do so with a really robust set of data sitting underneath. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent, excellent point. And, you know, there's so much talk today about consumer-driven healthcare and the transparency of prices and things like that. The big thing missing from all that uh, putting uh, information, pricing information, administrative information in front of uh, uh, consumers, in front of patients, is the quality was the quality uh, thing. So, so getting ahead of that. So, so tell me, and 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 Dave, I'll open it up to you as well. What what are the advantages to say working on quality measures, quality specs at the state level, 
as opposed to pushing something at, at more at a, a federal level? That might be a softball question for you all, but um, what's the advantage uh, to, to, to try and work through these, these things on the state level? Well, thanks, Matthew. I really want to say at the outset, though, that I really appreciated and agree a lot with what Denny was saying, and I was interpreting it from my public health lens. One of, one of the mantras in public health is make the healthy choice the easy choice. And I think we're talking about something similar here now in data exchange and use. There's no advantage for anyone for anything to continue the administratively burdensome and expensive means of data exchange or non-exchange that we currently have. I think Denny was really kind of outlining some ways to make the equivalent of the healthy choice the easy choice. And so to your question about states taking the lead or experimenting sometimes to do that, uh, I think states oftentimes have some insights about what that healthier, easier choice looks like and how that could perhaps be implemented, uh, boots on the ground, real time, really giving that a try. So um, again, I think to your point, uh, Matthew, about you know where, where can states fit in here? We're certainly monitoring federal regulations we're, we're actively working with Weedy and others in contributing to comments and responses to federal NPRMs. But we're also looking at it again from our own perspective, kind of like we did 15 years ago when we started down our administrative simplification route, to really see where we can add value, where we can provide some insights and maybe begin to experiment, uh, leverage what exists, work off it, but continue to build off it. Very good, Dave. Uh, and, and I like that idea. Um, there's certainly things that can be done at the state level. And I'll tell you from my own experience, when we were working at CMS building the regulations around operating rules, we continually looked to see what Minnesota had done in their standard companion guide. So um, that's exactly what the, the feds do. They look to what the what the states uh, have done and what's been successful in the states. Um, so, uh, uh, Dave, you talked about a little bit about how the pandemic kind of um, didn't put things on pause necessarily, but priorities were elsewhere. And I think that was true for the entire industry, uh, certainly. Um, where do you where do you see your organization or, or more broadly? Right. Where do you see Minnesota um, in five years, 10 years? Like wh where would be the ideal future for you? Well, I think, I think that's a great question, Matthew, one I've been thinking about, and I'm sure many other people are. Um, I'm sure we have just as many conflicting views about that as there are people thinking about it. But um, from the public health agency perspective, certainly I think what the pandemic has brought into relief are the needs and sometimes the limitations of current public health data exchange. And so that's certainly going to be on the forefront, I think, of everyone's mind in the state, is how to continually improve uh, the data and the use of that data in a public health sense. Um, you know, we have an uh, initiative going on. Uh, we have a, a unit, kind of a parallel unit to the one that I work with called Data Systems Integration, that's really looking at the question of, as Denny mentioned, um, sometimes providers are hit with multiple requests for information from different sources, but it, it all gets to asking for the same information. We do sometimes that in public health. 
we have to streamline and make that easier. A big focus as part of that public health emphasis is going to be on social determinants of health. You know, we're just, I think, collectively dipping our toe in that water. We have a long way to go to really make sure that we're uh, gathering and using the information uh, as needed and most correctly and most efficiently to really address those social determinants. So I think the public health perspective, social determinants is part of that. And then I think the uh, growing convergence between the exchange of administrative and clinical data and their inner use, whether it's for um, accountable care organizations who need to know cost and value and quality, as well as clinical information, um, or for population health kind of purposes. I think these are going to be very, very important directions that we have to be mindful of and contributing to as we go forward. Thank you. Denny, we'll, we'll turn the question to you. If one thinks that we're going to arrive at some point in the future at a harmonious state of data democ democratization and data liquidity, uh, it's going to be a frustrating and difficult journey. Um, for those who are purists uh, and believe that one form of exchange is superior to another and should be adopted universally, or one standard for encoding data is the best and should be required and operated universally, this is going to be a frustrating process. For those of us who are more stoical or at least more sanguine about the way things advance in healthcare, I think it's a very exciting time. Uh, we are seeing multiple opportunities to advance health information exchange that, as a colleague of mine would say, sort of contribute to the idea that all solutions are hybrid solutions. Um, if we're going to move healthcare to our goals, which are a much more patient-mediated health data economy, where patients have much greater control and information available to them about who offers the highest value care? What is the impact on them from a financial perspective? How well are their providers rated in terms of substantive quality measures? We need to keep our eye on that goal because the path to that goal is pretty, pretty jagged. You know, we go from victory to victory to a setback to victory to several setbacks. And again, but the progress is real. I'll take for an example, Tefka. Uh, Tefka is uh, criticized by those of us or those among us who are purists about API information exchange and point-to-point -point connectivity, but Tefka serves an invaluable role in normalizing the electronic health record and enabling a patient's health information to be accurately represented wherever they seek their care. Uh, we need that in order for clinical data exchange to proceed as effectively as we envision it. Electronic medical records right now are in a state of disarray with respect to conformance to standards, the use of, you know, fields instead of free text notes. Uh, fixing everything is exhausting, but fixing what we need to fix with a goal toward making that incremental but very thoughtful stepwise approach to achieving a high degree of, of patient knowledge about their health care, provider burden reduction, you know, reduction in total costs for healthcare, improvements in quality, if we can keep our eye on those end goals, then the path to that, those goals and the means by which we achieve them become 
necessary means, but not the ends in and of themselves. So I think that's kind of the knowledge, you know, some of the sort of insight that I've gained over my experience with this process and these processes and these, the people who, who work in healthcare is we all want to do the right thing. We all have different ways of getting there. Um, some of us are making technological recommendations and we're not technologists. Some of us are making policy recommendations. We're not policy people. That's the way it works. But if we keep our eye on the goal and we keep navigating back to that goal and understanding that the path there is going to be necessarily and in some ways beautifully messy, we'll be fine. Um, otherwise, we'll be deeply frustrated that we haven't got we haven't achieved purity. We haven't achieved the essentials in how we do things, but we never have. And getting to those goals, I think, needs to be the, our primary goal and recognizing that the path there is going to be is complicated and fraught with a number of challenges, but that's the way things work in our industry. So, so don't let the perfect stand in the way of progress. I think something exactly, like exactly. <laughs> um, something you both touched on, and certainly you did, Denny. And and I want to I want to have you check a thesis of mine, but it does feel like there's an inertia with more focus on the patient. I mean, I think 10, 13 years ago, meaningful use, yeah, the idea was to make things better for the patient, but it was more about making the providers happy and making it right. Um, but I think post-pandemic, um, there seems to be a bipartisan agreement that we have to do something about the social determinants of health. There seems to be a bipartisan agreement that we need to, to decrease medical debt in this country. It does feel like we are finally focusing on the patient. And it does feel like we can come together. I, I certainly see it at the policy level and at the at the at the Republicans versus de Democrats level that that all they want now is and what they agree on is let's do something for the patient. Let's do something for the healthcare consumer. Would you agree with that thesis? And is that some place where we can we can come together? That that idea that there's an, an actual inertia here, or it sounds like the patient finally has a voice. Well, I think the patient does have a voice, and I don't think I'm not the target demographic. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not the, the the individual who's yearning to have all of their information available on their smartphone, though I do. Um, but many of my friends and family members think the idea of controlling their health data is just beyond their comprehension. But my reminder is that. We're not the folks for whom this intent is intended. This is a long-term play, a long-term strategy to engage individuals at the earliest stages of their interactions with the health system, with how the health system works and what they need to do to make good health decisions. I think the, pre the precedent for making the patient the center of this was set in the 21st Century Cures Act, which, you know, by enormous bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate, um, the number of dissenters to the act in both chambers can probably be counted on two hands. Um, but this that was that was a thrust that included all of the interoperability and information exchange challenges that we're facing today. The proposed rules coming out of CMS and ONC Office of Management and Budget with respect to new uh, new guidelines and new standards for demographic and other types of data to increase the robustness and granularity of understanding health equity and how to improve it. Those all derive from the 21st Century Cures Act. And this is a process that's been unfolding over time. 
And yes, the patient is becoming increasingly central to this. We're seeing app developers who are challenging health plans and providers to make information available for their users. Uh, we see this happening with, you know, the acquisitions of One Medical and Oak Street Health, trying to bring primary care closer to patients, the hospital at home movement. We're seeing a lot of things happen in technology, as well as in, in delivery and financing and the kinds of risk models that are being developed that are really driven by understanding what the patient needs and what the patient wants. It's slow, fast by healthcare standards, slow by most of our you know, business standards, but we see this happening and we see it happening in a big way. Thank you, Danny. Dave, your thoughts? Well, I, as always, have been agreeing with Danny, and I think he's made some good points. Also, I think we have to keep in mind that um, we live in the so-called knowledge economy. And so knowledge is the new oil. It's the currency for getting things done. What we've been talking about today are tools. And sometimes the tools are most useful for providers to connect to other providers, providers to payers. We've been talking about trying to make this really unwieldy oil tanker system much more efficient and practical. As a result of this, I think the expectation is that consumers ultimately benefit. But I think to your point, Matthew, have we directed this effort as much as we could to consumers um, as, as the central focus of this? Perhaps not. We've been honing and refining tools for a lot of purposes, which we hope will pay off. But have they really been directed as, uh, as focused as they could be on the consumer? Perhaps not yet, but I think as Denny was indicating, we're getting there. We're beginning to turn this ocean tanker in some new ways, and this is gonna be an important new way. Um, you know, <clears throat> Napoleon was said to have, is quoted as, as saying, an army, an army travels on its stomach. Healthcare and healthcare reform travels on information. And at some point, <clears throat> when it can get to consumers in a way that they actually want to receive it and feel like they can use it effectively, that's going to be a major indication, I think, of this oil tanker having turned in a new important direction. Very good. Very good. So uh, we're talking to David Haugen. Administrative Simplification Program Director, Center for Health Information Policy and Transformation at the Minnesota Department of Health, and Denny Brennan, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium. Denny, I'll turn to you. Any last, uh, I'll give you the last word here. Any last thoughts? Uh, well, thank you for that opportunity, Matthew. Um, my last thoughts are, it's messy. You know, we have a lot to work through as an industry when it comes to information exchange. But this is the good problem to have. Uh, we have an embarrassment of vehicles and methods for exchanging data. We see them in different states. We see states as being laboratories for innovation, both taking guidance from the feds, but also leading federal policymaking in, in other respects. Um, but over my career in healthcare, this is the most exciting period I've seen where we're seeing the, the power of information technology, the power of you know, advanced computational capabilities like artificial intelligence and machine learning being applied to improving healthcare in a way that we haven't had the opportunity or the means to do before. So it will be, it will still be bumpy. We have established constituents with 
business needs that they need to fulfill with changes that they don't necessarily want to make or are uncomfortable with making. We, we are in a very conservative industry. We're taking care of people. We're not, you know, we're not manufacturing widgets or selling automobiles. We're taking care of human beings. And that's, you know, by a definition, a very fraught and very difficult process to advance, but we're doing it. And I think that while it's hard to be patient, it's much better to be patient with a process that is moving forward, however unpredictably, than it is to be patient with the status quo, which is unacceptable. So I'm excited. I, I know that much of these changes will be happening long after I'm a part of this kind of discussion, but we're moving in a direction that is the right direction. And we, for the first time, put the patient at the table with payers and providers who used to be the only ones in the room. And their internecine conflicts stultified change and advancement, as one would expect between composing or opposing constituents in in the health data economy. By bringing patients into this, we've created sort of the third leg of the stool. We have stabilized those kinds of conflicts to refocus them on the patient's requirements and the patient's needs. And I think that was a, that that in and of itself is a catalyst to to real in, innovation, real advancement, and real improvement. So I'm positive. I remain bullish on this, and I look forward to seeing what happens in the in the months and years to come. Excellent, excellent. Messy but exciting. But at least we're on a three legged stool instead of a two. Dave, your your, your thoughts. Um, I'm also grateful that I think we're on a three legged stool. Um, Guaranteed, it's it's messy. It's going to continue to be that way. But I think what I really appreciated was just this opportunity today to hear from Denny, to have the discussion, really looking forward again, especially coming from the pandemic and feeling like I'm kind of emerging from a burrow that I've been in, to be able to see the world and, and to be able to really begin talking in terms like we have been today about how we can do better, how we can go forward. I think for me, that's the really exciting thing. So again, thank you for the podcast. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm kind of excited too. You've given me a, a reason to be excited, whether we're in a, a, an oil rig or if we're on a three-legged stool. Um, before we leave, any uh, resources, uh, websites, uh, reports that you want to point uh, listeners to so they can learn a little bit more about what we've been talking about today? Uh, Dave, we'll start with you. Sure, if anybody wants to get some more background, especially about uh, our particular administrative simplification initiative, if you Google Minnesota Administrative Uniformity Committee, you'll probably end up with much more than you'd ever want. Otherwise, if you would like to contact me directly, my email address is david.haugen, H-A-U-G-E-N, at state.mn.us. We'd really look forward to hearing from people. Thank you again. Very good. Denny? Well, I would encourage folks to check our website, uh, mahealthdata.org. That's mahealthdata.org. We have also our Health Policy Commission for people who want to look at policy vehicles and government structures that are designed to promote information exchange and alleviate burden and reduce cost. Um, And Certainly contact me at dbrennan, D-B-R-E-N-N-A-N, at mahealthdata.org. Excellent. We'll put some of those links uh, beneath the description of this uh, 
this uh, episode. And uh, thank you both, Dave, Denny. Uh, appreciate you have uh, being on this show today. Thank, thank you, you very Matthew. much. Thank, thank you, you David, much, for your com- for your comments as well. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Very good. This has been a great and, and actually inspiring discussion with Dave Haugen, Administrative Simplification Program Director, Center for Health Information Policy and Transformation at the Minnesota Department of Health, and Denny Brennan, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium. And this has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects collaborates and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.